0: you have your Bibles with you this morning. Turn to the book of Philippians. We are in chapter 2, verses 12 through 18 this morning. Philippians two, twelve through 18. And before we get into this passage, we've been going through the book of Philippians over the past several weeks. And I wanted to go kind of through an overview of where we've been and what before we get into where we are going today. Just kind of some background on the, on the church in Philippi. They were a church that Paul planted on one of his first missionary journeys. As he's going and traveling, spreading the good news of Jesus, he goes and preaches the good news of Jesus in the city of Philippi. And there's believers there and a church is formed. And, and as they go, as he goes on, he remembers this church and he prays for this church. And this is a letter that he has written to the people in Philippi. And he starts the letter by telling them how grateful he is for the Philippians, how he thanks God for them and their partnership in the gospel. He encourages them that his imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. And that is his main concern, that the gospel is advanced. Because we know that Paul is writing this letter from prison. And he explains that for him to live as Christ and to die as gain, that all that he's doing, whatever he's doing, is for Christ. And, And he would rather depart and be with Christ because he says that's better but he knows that he's going to remain for the good of the Philippians and, and for those he's sharing the gospel with. And he then challenges the Philippians to be humble, to consider others greater than themselves and adopting the humility that Christ showed. And, and with that, we come to today's passage. All of that's been said up to this point. We come to today, today's passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. So let's read that starting in verse 12. Therefore... My dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked generation in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you in the same way you should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you. For your word, we thank you that we were able to gather together this morning to worship you, to sing your praises, to freely do that. Lord, and we praise you that you have given us your word that we can look at and know what you ask of us. We know what you expect of us. And God, I pray that during this time, as we examine what your word says to us, that we would examine our own lives, that we would see how we compare to what you call us to, to the standard you call us to, and to see how we can follow you more faithfully today in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this, as we look at the word therefore, right? We, at the beginning of this passage, it begins, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When we see the word therefore, I've always heard that we need to figure out what it is there for, right? So what he is starting this with, is directly relating to what he has just said. And we've already talked about that. That is the, the passage we looked at last week how the, the Philippians are called to imitate Christ's humility, who did not consider, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with grasp as, as equality with God as something to be taken advantage of, uh, of, but emptied himself even by dying on the cross. So, is are called to be humble? And they're called to think of others as greater than themselves. To be obedient, as Christ was obedient. This is where he tells them, my friends, be just as you've always obeyed. So now, not not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we see from this passage, this first part, that our obedience is our cooperation with the working of, at working of God. Obedience is the cooperation with the working of God. He commends their obedience and he challenges them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. So the first thing we notice is he calls them dear friends. He's not writing to strangers, but people he loves. We've seen that through this letter. He loves them and he's challenging them. He's encouraging them, says, hey, you've, you've obeyed always. And I want to con- challenge you to continue to do that, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's an interesting phrase. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Does that mean that they're earning their salvation? Does that mean they have to keep their salvation? No, not at all. But what it does mean is to approach our salvation in such a way that it becomes clear that it is authentic, acknowledging its precious nature. That we, when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we are approaching it in a way to make it clear that it is authentic acknowledging its precious nature. There's a, a TV show you may have seen called Pawn Stars, and they go, and they take all these things to these people, right? Like, hey, I have the first copy of this book that was a journal uh, of this very famous person. Here you go. I want, I want $10,000 for it, right? What do they do every time someone brings them something like that? I know a person. I need them to come look at it. What are they doing? They're testing the authenticity of what they've been brought. Like if you go to today to somebody and you want to sell some jewelry that you have, they're not going to just take your word that you're giving them real jewelry, real gold. real. It's, it's very valuable. They're going to test it. They're going to figure out, is, is it authentic? Is there a way we can know that it's authentic? When we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we are testing and proving the authenticity of our faith. So how do we do this? Obedience is the process through which we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's a similar passage, this one written by Peter in 2 Peter 1, chapter 1, verses 5-11. through 11. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, then, you will, then they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to, make, to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. So we see a similar phrase there, right? To make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. How does Peter say that we do this? How does Paul say that we do this? Just as you've always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Add to your, your faith faith goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Why? Because if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have those things, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So here's what we see. If we have... Salvation, if we follow Christ, we have salvation, the forgiveness of sins. That was atoned for, paid for by Jesus and the work that he did on the cross. Only because of Jesus can we be forgiven from our sins. There's nothing we do. There's no amount of hard work we can do, no amount of good deeds we can do to atone for our sins. But we see this challenge here that if you have been saved, obey and work out your salvation with fear and trembling, meaning that if we have salvation, we should be obedient and test and approve and show that it really is what we claim that it is. Now, though he says to work it out with fear and trembling, this is not a scary proposition, as though we are going to realize that our salvation is not true. And, and really, if you were to test and approve and come to that conclusion, that's not a scary thing at all. Because if you've realized by testing and approving and working out your salvation that you didn't genuinely believe in Christ, that's a good thing. Because guess what you have the opportunity to do? To repent and believe. It shouldn't be scary. But instead it's confirming what we already know. It should confirm the salvation that we have. And it should be encouraging. If we put our faith to the test, if we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we will see our faith revealed. And the thing is that the more we see our faith revealed, the more confident we are in our salvation. I don't know if you've ever encountered people or maybe you've been this person at times that have questioned their salvation. There are many people that that go through their life each day and they wonder, how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that, that my sins are forgiven? One of the ways that we see that they tell us to know and to be sure is to be obedient. If there is obedience to what God calls us to do, part of that obedience being empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can be reassured. How can I know that I'm saved? Because I do the things that God calls me to do. I repented, I believed, and now I'm walking in obedience. The obedience doesn't save me. The obedience doesn't keep me saved. The obedience is not what holds me there. God does that. But by my obedience, I know that God has worked in me. He's created a new heart within me. He has made me a new creation. Oftentimes, the the, the reason people question their salvation is because the obedience is not there. You see, if there isn't obedience, this is why we question. Not not, Not always because they're not saved, but because they aren't seeing the effects that obedience produces. And so if you are a person here today and you you claim to follow Christ and you look at your life and you don't see evidence, you don't see obedience in your life, you don't see fruit, there's one of two things that could mean you need to start. You need to start being obedient. Or if you test and you, you realize that there's no obedience and you realize maybe your faith was not genuine in the first place. Maybe you had never actually placed your faith in Christ. Maybe you had gone to church because people took you there and you just continued in a habit. Believing in God is something you must do. Believing in what Christ has done is something you must do individually. And if you've done that and you don't see obedience, you need to really begin to look at how you can be obedient in your faith. It's not a bad thing. You shouldn't beat yourself up over that. right? You you go from where you're at and continue forward in your faith. The other thing we see is that the more we see our faith revealed, the more bold we can be in exercising our faith. When our faith becomes tangible because of our obedience, it is easier to step out on faith and do hard things. So the more we see our faith revealed, the more bold we can be in exercising our faith. If we know that our faith is real and we see the evidence in our life, it becomes real to us. We see the evidence. We may not be able to see Jesus walking among us. We may not be able to touch his scars like his his disciples did in that day. But when we see the evidence of his working within our lives, that emboldens us. We know that what we've believed in is true. We know that it's valuable. We know that it can change lives. We know that Jesus can save. So when we see that, we become bolder. When I, when I go to the gym and I, and I lift and I work out, if I have someone there that I know can, can take the weight off me if I fail, I'm bolder. I'll put more weight on the bar. If I have spotter arms that will keep me from, from dying in that moment, I'm bolder. And so when we see the truth, we see... That people that they, that God's faith in us is real and sure. We're bolder. We step out because we know our hope is sure and our hope is true. Not only will we become become confident in the faith, we will become fruitful. This is what we see very clearly in, in the passage we related with Peter. That if we do these things, if we add goodness and faith and knowledge and self control, if we add these things on, we will become useful and fruitful in the faith and we will in the faith and we will not stumble. Following the example of Christ and being obedient will produce fruit we seek to have in the faith. This fruit that we will see in our lives is life change. You should be able to look in your life and say I was going this direction but I believed in Christ and now I'm going this other direction. You should be able to see the sins that you repented of being left in the past you should be able to see people that you've shared the gospel with and hopefully through that testimony through your faithfulness and sharing you should be able to see people that have come to christ because of what you have done in obedience not that you saved them not that you were the so eloquent or wise as to share it but because jesus saves when the gospel is presented When we wonder why we aren't being effective in our faith, we must first look and see whether we are being obedient. The people that you think of and hold up in your mind as the most effective Christians, the people that had a powerful impact in their life, that shared the gospel, that saw so much fruit in their lives. Do you know what was there before that fruit? Obedience. They followed God. They did what he said. A lack of fruit is very directly related to a lack of of obedience. If you aren't looking like Christ, it is because you do not listen to what he says. If someone gives you directions and you do the opposite of what they say, you aren't going to end up in the right place. If someone tells you, yeah, go this way and turn right, and you turn left, are you going to get where you're going? No. The thing about the directions that we've been given, that the, the clear example in Scripture of what we should be is very simple. But it doesn't mean that it's easy, but we must be obedient. And, and through this, we remember that God is the one who is doing the working. We simply submit and obey where he leads. Verse 13 says, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. We are seeking to partner with the work that God is doing. And the hard part about this, as we saw before in the humility of Christ, is this means that we can't do things in our own power. That means we have to lay ourselves and what we would think and what we would want aside and trust that God is good. We aren't trying to do things within our own power. Sometimes the temptation is to go slightly in a different direction than what God calls. So it's to slightly alter what God has called us to do in a way that makes more sense to us or that makes it more convenient for us. And this is, I think, the the contemporary Christian's way of saying, of buying into the original lie. Did God really say? If we add caveats, if we make alterations to what God commands us to do, it's, it's almost like we're buying into the original lie in the garden. Did God really say not to eat the fruit or you would die. Did God really say to love your neighbor? Well, we should love our neighbor, but. If if the word but ever follows a command from God that's clear, that's a problem. We should flee from sin, but. We should care for the needy, but. When we follow God, when we see what He's doing in our lives and in the world, what He commands us to do, the obedience should be unequivocal we should not get in the way of what god is doing when we see people that are lost and are dying in their sin that are are going a very harsh direction with their life they're doing things that are difficult is the gospel for that person absolutely can god save that person absolutely and so we can't allow any thoughts of well i need to share the gospel but but not me, not, not right now, not that person, not this time. How can you be obedient to what God is doing? Because that's the encouraging part of this. God is doing the work. He's willing and working in you for his good purpose. And so any ways you might mess it up, any ways that you might get in the way because of your fallibility, if you're being obedient to where he calls, he will do the work. And and as I said before, it's not complicated. What God calls us to do is not complicated, but it is not easy. It will cost. It will have sacrifice involved. And the truth of it is that what God wills will happen with or without us. And for our part, we should seek to be as involved in what He is doing in this world as we possibly can. We know the end result. We know at the end of this age, at the end of the day, at the end of our lives... If we believe scripture like we say we do, we know what is going to happen. We know who will be victorious. We know that Christ, we celebrated last week, he rose victorious from the grave. Death is defeated. We know the end of the story. And so if we're going to live now with that end of the story in mind, where should we align our interests? Where should we align our time? Where should we align our obedience? Should it be with the world? giving into temptation, going the way we were going before, living as though we did not know Christ, or should it be with Him in submission to Him? I think it's very clear which it should be. Obedience to God, laying down what we want in service of something greater. And when we do that, the second thing we see from this passage is that obedience will distinguish us from the world. Obedience distinguishes us from the world we're going to talk about how it does that going through, starting in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. We're going to have to stop right there because that's pretty difficult. Yeah. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. And I don't know about you growing up or, or if you remember any situations like this, but the whole obey your father and mother is, is a really hard command at times. But it's one that a lot of times people will do, but... Do you ever remember when you were younger doing it with some grumbling and arguing? Where it's like, hey, you need to go clean your room, or hey, you need to go do this chore that you haven't done? Yes, sir. And you walk off, mumbling under your breath. That's not what obedience to God should look like. It's not what love for one another should look like in the church. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, knowing that these things we do are for our good. It's not just doing something, it is doing it with a good attitude. When you do something, but you do it grudgingly, this is not the attitude that we are called to have. And I've heard stories of this, I've heard, and you've probably known these people, and maybe you've been this person before, but where everything seems to be going wrong, and everything's an issue, and everything's a problem, people notice that. If you've ever, ever met a person that every time something happens, It's like, well, you know, I'm just, this has just been a really bad day. I can't believe I have to go do this thing. I can't believe I have to do that thing. People notice that. Not just people within the church, people outside of the church. They know you're a Christian and they see your attitude. We're talking about how obedience distinguishes us from the world. It's very common, it's very normal to argue, to grumble, to complain. But what do we see? We should be obedient, we should live our lives without grumbling and without arguing. So you may be blameless and pure. So that you may be blameless and pure. As he has indicated multiple times, and I think if you look at Scripture, it is very clear that the expectation of Christ's followers, the standard that we are to strive for, is perfection. Not that we have to be perfect to be saved, but if we're trying to be like Christ, we know that Christ was perfect. So, Paul expresses we should be blameless and pure. That When we are being sanctified, becoming like Christ, our goal is to be blameless and pure. You know, this morning, I put on a shirt and I was getting ready to come to church today. And I noticed just a little, a little dark spot, a little stain on my shirt. So I changed. Now, it was, it was mostly clean. The shirt was clean. It had been washed, but there was a stain, something that remained, something that was there that shouldn't have been there. I don't know about you, but I didn't want to walk in. The first thing everybody sees is this little, little stain. Now, 99% clean. The shirt itself was clean, but there was a problem. It had a stain. Would you go to the store and pay full price for a, a shirt that had a stain on it? Or would you go behind it and pick the one that was clean? When we think of the standard we're held to, when we think of what we're seeking to be, we can't allow anything to remain that isn't like Christ. We are to be pure and blameless. Would you eat food that you were served to you at lunch? That they, well, just want to let you know we had a little issue. We didn't have all clean water, so some of this was cooked with some dirty water, but just a little bit of dirty water. You're going to go somewhere else. When we look at the sin in our lives, when we look at our obedience to God, we can't allow anything to remain. So that we may be pure and blameless. Why? So that you may be pure and blameless children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Now here's the part. This is the part where it's easy to focus on this part without having The first part in our minds. If you look around, it's not hard to find crooked and perverted things in the world around us. Just just in the past week, on social media, I saw people that were talking about a party where they're celebrating divorce. I saw a, a cake that had been made, instead of celebrating the birth of a baby, that was celebrating the abortion of a baby. There are crooked and perverted things that exist in the world. But, what we have to do is consider, are we pure and blameless children of God in this crooked and perverted world? Now, the, the reality of that, terrible, awful things have existed from the beginning of time. Any point, in, every, any point, any period of history you want to look at, you're going to find things that would shock you and disgust you. From the beginning of time. Are we different from the world? Because we know the difficulty, right? We, we see how things happen. And in, in the process by which things become accepted in the world. Mark Dever said this about sin. Sin once tolerated seeks to be accepted. And sin once accepted seeks to be celebrated. And through your life, you can probably see that. Things that were tolerated, then accepted, and then become celebrated. But in comparison to this crooked and perverted generation, Paul says we should shine like stars in the world. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so you may be pure, blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. If we are being obedient to God, if we are living in accord with what He calls us to do, we should be very distinctly different. And so part of the challenge I want to issue to you today is, what is different about you? What is different about you from the world? That's a personal question we must all ask ourselves every day and answer every day. It is not enough to simply avoid the really bad things, the things that are shocking and the things that disgust us. But if we are to be called holy, that means being set apart from the world, to shine like stars in the world. When you go out to your workplace, when you go out in public, is there something about the way you live your life that is different than the world around you? Do you know what that thing should be? That thing should be that you were dead in your sins. But then you heard about what Christ had done for you. That Christ died for you. And, and, and the, the dead the person dead in their sins was raised to life, given new life, a new creation in Christ. Walking in obedience. Because if we're walking among people that are still in their sins, and we've been redeemed from our sins, there should be a very big difference between the way we live our lives. And that should be the first avenue through which you are able to, to share the gospel. Because if you tell somebody about the good news of Jesus and they don't look at your life and say, man, they've got something I don't have, that's a problem. If you're walking among people who who would say that they're not a Christ follower, they're not a Christian, they're lost, they don't care, and you tell them you really need to believe in Jesus and they ask you why and there's not clear evidence in your life, that's a problem. That's not shining like a star among a crooked generation. That's blending in, that's conforming. So, how do we stand out? How do we stand out? We we hold firm to the word of life. That's what he says next. By holding firm to the word of life. It's not that we try harder, it's not that we get our things in order. It's not that we become so good because we're such good people. We're not. Christ had to die so we could be redeemed. But we hold firm to the word of life. We, We remember our hope and we hold on. And we know that this is the authority on which we stand because we know the end of the story, the word of life, the word that Christ is raised from the dead, that we do have hope, that there is eternal life, that our sins are forgiven. We hold on to that. And we live like we believe it. We allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and to help us to live in obedience to God. Holding firm, not letting go at the first difficulty. When you have a bad day at work, I hope that your reaction is not to quit your job immediately. You know that there's a reason. You know you need money for your family to live your life, to take care of it, to provide. And so you hold firm in those circumstances. When we face difficulty in this world, which we will, Jesus assured us of that. If they hated me, they'll hate you We must hold firm to the word of life. We hold fast to what we know to be the truth, and we keep moving forward in obedience. Because obedience will lead to our boasting. So Paul's claim here, in verse 16, by holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way you should be glad, you should also be glad in rejoicing with me. So Paul's saying at the end of his life, on the day when Christ appears, he can boast and say, I did not labor for nothing. The hardships I faced, the jail time I faced, the beatings I endured, the ridicule I endured was worth it. You want to see the evidence? Look at these Philippians that believed the word of God, that believed and they were saved because of what God has done. He can say that his obedience, he can see the fulfillment of his obedience. He can say that he did not live a wasted life. Because at that time, everything else we've done, everything we've accumulated, any regard among men that we have will fade away. And only what we've done for Christ will remain. The Philippians are Paul's fruit and the evidence of his faith lived out. Paul was obedient and there was fruit from his life. He can say, he can boast that he didn't labor in vain. And the question I want to ask you this morning is what are you boasting in? What are you proclaiming? What are you boasting in with your life? And Paul, for his part, said in Galatians 6, 14, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. So in this life, Paul says he will only boast in the cross of of, of Jesus Christ where, where salvation has come, where he will boast only in that because that is his only hope. The only way he will be saved is because of the cross of what Jesus has done. He will only boast about the life in this life, about the cross, so then in the next life, he will be able to boast about the evidence of the work of the cross. So, as he goes, as he moves among people, he boasts about what Jesus has done for him. Not what he has done, not his own life, not about his own activities and desires, but what Jesus has done for him. And, in, and then in the day of Christ, when his hope has appeared, he can boast in what God has done through the cross, seeing the salvation of of many. And the question we ask is will you be able to boast about what you've done for Christ in the life to come? Will you be able to look and see I've been obedient, I I see my hope made true and all the work that I did was worth it. Everything, even if I'm poured out, even if I die for my faith is what Paul's saying. Even if I die for my faith, die for sharing the gospel with you, it was worth it. And I can boast on that day about what God has done in these people. Even if he's poured out serving the Philippians, he is glad. And he tells them that they should be glad. He is living his life with purpose, investing his life in something that matters. If you are obedient to God with your life, you will live a life that matters. You will live a life that leaves a legacy. Do you know how many people in the, in the course of human history have been extremely wealthy? have had power beyond what any of us will ever have in our lives that we don't even know their name. Those things don't remain. The, the pharaohs in Egypt tried to bury themselves with all of their riches and the things for what they viewed the afterlife to be. We don't take those things with us when we go. Paul was building his life based off of what he knew to be true and what he knew, knew to be true about what was to come. If you live your life in a way that matters, you're not going to fear losing it. Can you face the end of your life knowing that you lived a life that mattered, that you did what God called you to do, that you proved your faith to be sure and real and saw the fruit of that proof? You know, this sermon was titled, Lights in the World. Uh, And this passage says that we're supposed to shine like stars in this world. And if we are obedient, working out our faith in fear and trembling, it, working out our faith in fear and trembling, we will shine like stars in the world. And I think that there's a children's song, it's one of Barrett's favorites at the moment, that sums it up perfectly. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out, I'm going to let it shine. And Jesus commanded it this way, in Matthew 5:16. in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And as Becky's about to come and we have this time of invitation, what I want to challenge you with is, is your light shining this morning? If you have been saved, if you have trusted in Christ for your salvation, is that evident to those around you? Are you hiding it? Are you concealing it? Or are you letting it shine before others? Because when you do, as Jesus says, they will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. The obedience that we have will produce fruit. It will produce this light that everyone should be able to see. But that first requires that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't have a light That you let shine before others, unless you've been raised to new life because of what Jesus has done. You can't start this light on your own. You can't do enough good works to to produce this light. It's the light of Christ burning within you for the world to see. So this morning, I ask you do you know Jesus? Because if you're sitting here this morning, just like I am, and just like every person in here is, you have sin in your life, you're a sinner. That needs to be forgiven. You do things that are wrong. You do the wrong things. You've done that before. And you need forgiveness. Have you trusted Christ to forgive you? To save you? Because today is the day to do that if you have not. And if you do know Him. Is your light shining in the world? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father we thank you. For this day that you've given us this time, we can gather together and worship you and sing your praises. And Lord, I pray that as we come into this time of invitation, that we would reflect upon our lives. To see how we are being obedient to you. To see whether we are working at our salvation. To see the the, the proof, the fruit of knowing you. And God, I pray that if anyone does not know you this morning, that they would turn to you for the first time today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar is open and I will be down front if you have any need for prayer this morning.